Welcome to another edition of the Reporters Roundtable on Radio Catskill. Today I'm joined with Leah Mayo of the River Reporter, Chris Rowley from the Schwankuk Journal, and Philip Pontuso from the Times Union, discussing the latest news and updates in our listening area. Liam, let's start with you. You have an update for us. It's something we've discussed many times on the local edition about development in Bethel, New York, it's particularly when it pertains to the White Lake Mansion. What can you tell us? Yeah, um, so there are two projects being developed right now on the banks of White Lake. Um, there's the White Lake Mansion project, which uh, is gonna tear down the like decrepit White Lake Mansion that currently stands there and rebuild it um, along with two other buildings as I think a 70 suite hotel complex. Um, and then there's a project basically a block over uh, the White Lake Estates project uh, that will itself be I think a 30, um, 30 to 35 suite hotel. I'm forgetting the exact number as of this moment, but um, 35 Suite Hotel, that's that's the number. Um, and the Bethel Planning Board uh, heard on August 7, a discussion about White Lake Estates. Um, these are two independent projects being proposed independently by different developers, but there is some collaboration between the projects. So we got a little bit of a sneak update on White Lake Mansion as well. Uh, the planning board heard sort of a traffic engineer talking about the studies they had done um, to study the traffic impact on the project. Um, the White Lake Stage project team took readings along 17B at uh, three intersections uh, during the 4th of July weekend um, to try and capture traffic levels at kind of a busy time for the area. Um, and that traffic study is also going to inform the work done at White Lake Mansion House. So these two projects are going to be sharing this traffic study um, given that they are in a similar area and given that they will kind of be affected by each other's traffic so they would need to um, discuss anywhere. Um, the planning board also heard discussion about the hydrology of the area. Um, the uh, White Lake Estates project had a hydrologist there who said the project will have two production wells on the property to meet its water needs. At the time, those were verbally approved by the New York State Department of Health with full approval expected shortly. Um, and so those are kind of the studies that are being done to, about the impact on the area. Um, there's some pushback from like local residents saying that there needs to be more consideration of the project's impact on the watershed. Um, with um, advocates saying that, uh, according to like their conversations with the Department of Environmental Conservation, um, there shouldn't be more than 25% of the land within a watershed that's developed. And the current level around the White Lake watershed is that 30%, even without these two projects. Again, this is sort of according to community groups who are advocating against these projects. Um, and the town is kind of saying that they are doing their due diligence. They're trying to consider the watershed. They are um, they are um, keeping this stuff in mind, but also like having their town engineer 
be the one to review the process and and yeah, so that's kind of where things are at. It's it's not a huge update, just an update that says these are the things the planning board is looking at to review these projects. These are the things that the project teams themselves are trying to do to let people know what kind of an impact the projects are going to have. Absolutely. When project comes about, there's always uh, environmental impacts, financial impacts, traffic impacts. So if you have any updates on that story, please let us know. Moving on here to Pennsylvania, you have an update for us, something we discussed also on the local edition about the Pennsylvania budget. What's happening there? Yeah, uh, so we've been following, or Owen Walsh, our Pennsylvania reporter, has been following a couple of state stories for the River Reporter, um, following first sort of the budget process where it took sort of over a month past the deadline for the Pennsylvania state budget to be passed. Uh, that budget was passed on August 3. Um, the thing that had been holding up the budget was um, language and like a program around charter schools, uh, specifically funding for like a school voucher program, allowing people more choice in where they um, went to school. Uh, this is something the Republicans in the government have sort of supported. Democrats have largely opposed it. And uh, Democratic Governor Josh Shapiro had originally indicated he was going to support this legislation in the budget process and sort of facing pushback from within his party. He ended up vetoing that language, um, which accounted for a lot of the holdup. So as far as I'm aware, that language didn't or did eventually get vetoed or like that program isn't being supported in the current version of the budget. Um, but there still need to be negotiations over sort of accompanying bills to the budget. So the story isn't quite over yet. Uh, there are fiscal code bills that I think unlock authorization for bits of the budget. And until those uh, fiscal code bills are passed, uh, there's over a billion dollars that cannot be spent. Um, these programs include a program that aids Pennsylvania's struggling school districts. Um, and that's sort of still unfinished business. Uh, there's some recent reporting from the Pittsburgh Post to that I'm seeing that uh, the state Senate will hold an August voting session next week to deal with sort of these unfinished pieces. Um, but again, that still kind of needs to be worked through. Um, the other statewide thing we've been looking at is a um, constitutional amendment process for adult survivors of childhood sexual abuse. Um, there was a constitutional amendment in or a bill in 2019 um, saying that, or raising the age of the statute of limitations for sort of abuse cases from 30 to 55. So it allows adults who were abused earlier in life to come forward and kind of present uh, cases. Um, but when that age limit was raised, uh, survivors who were already older than 30, 30 at the time of its passing were considered outside the statute of limitations. So it helps people going forward, but there's a huge swath of people who could have benefited from this legislation and weren't able to. Um, and the state government has been mulling over a constitutional amendment to create sort of a tier two year exception window, letting people 
pass these cases or like pursue these cases. Um, but there's sort of politics that's holding it up. Um, the state's Democratic lawmakers are sort of pointing at the Republicans for the delay. Um, they're saying that the Republicans are trying to bundle this amendment in with more partisan amendments, including stricter voter ID requirements and ones restricting a governor's regulatory power. Um, but then the Republicans are saying these are fine things for the Commonwealth to vote on, and it's no issue if they all kind of make it through in the same constitutional amendment cycle. So while all that's going on, um, it's uh, time is passing and uh, deadlines are being passed. Um, I believe uh, the earliest this constitutional amendment could be passed now is 2024. And if this deadlock continues, it could just keep getting pushed back and keep getting pushed back. So two stories, I guess, from the state level that involve um, just delays for political disagreements. I mean, it happened in New York and looks like it's happening in Pennsylvania. I, I'm not sure if I, if you said it, I'm sorry if I missed it, but will this hold up any kind of services or plans that the state were doing because of what's happening now with this delay? I, th I think there are some things that are being held up um, by these fiscal or by these uh, budget like addendum bills that still need to be considered. I'm not familiar with the exact details of which programs can go forward, which programs can't. I believe the budget being passed does sort of let the majority of state funding go through, but there are still some programs covered in these fiscal codes that um, still need further action to be fully enacted. Right. Thank you so much, Liam. Liam from The River Reporter. Philip Pontuso from The Times Union, let's go to you. You have an update, something we talked about on the local edition about what's happening with the Woodstock supervisor. There was some inappropriate conduct happening at the supervisor's office. What's the latest on this story? Yeah, so this is uh, the latest development in what's becoming a pretty heated political rivalry between the Woodstock town supervisor, Bill McKenna, and a town board member named Bennett Ratcliffe, who challenged McKenna uh, in the Democratic primary earlier this year and lost and is planning to run on a third party line uh, in November. Um, these two men have had a number of disagreements uh, relating to uh, kind of transparency and local government, uh, how the town has dealt with trying to clean up an illegal landfill in, in town. And the latest development is a confidential memo that Ratcliffe wrote earlier this month after he witnessed what he termed to be, quote, inappropriate workplace conduct in the supervisor's office by Bill McKenna and a town employee. Uh, another town board member named Maria Elena Conte also signed this memo. Uh, it was supposed to be a confidential memo, uh, but it was leaked somehow. Um, and Ratcliffe said this was the third time that he had witnessed these inappropriate actions. He didn't actually detail what they are. Um, and he filed uh, three complaints to the town, one to the Human Rights Committee, one to the Ethics Board, and one to the Town Board. Um, Ratcliffe told our Susan Farkas, who does a lot of Woodstock reporting for us, that uh, 
the retaliation was swift for writing these memos. Um, he's not sure how, how they became public, but somehow they did. Um, the day after they did become public, there was a regularly scheduled town board meeting at which um, a number of speakers heavily criticized Ratcliffe during the public comment period, uh, calling him, among other things, despicable, the most divisive individual to ever beset our community, and an ego tripper who should be off the town board. So um, one of these people was also uh, Bill McKenna's wife, Hillary Sanders McKenna. So a pretty uh, pretty spicy meeting. Um, a couple of days later, McKenna called an emergency session, which Ratcliffe and Maria, Maria Elena Conte did not attend because there wasn't enough public notice, they said. Um, but at that session, the board agreed to appoint another town board member, Reggie Earls, to find an attorney to investigate these complaints about inappropriate conduct that were the subject of the confidential memo. So that's where things stand now. Um, as we're speaking on Tuesday afternoon, an attorney has not been retained to look into this, but um, that's going to be the next step. Um, Ratcliffe told us that he, he blames McKenna for breaching the confidentiality of his complaints. Um, but we can't confirm who actually leaked it. So, Do you think leaking of confidential information has impacted the public perception on the political race or those involved? It's hard to say if this if this latest development has impacted public perception only because I would be surprised if there's anybody who's awake in Woodstock who doesn't already have an opinion about Bennett Ratcliffe or Bill McKenna at this point. McKenna has served, I, I think it's three terms as supervisor. It may be five, actually. Yeah, no. Okay. He's seeking his fifth term this November. Um, so he's been he's been in charge for a while. Um and Ratcliffe um, and his supporters, and he does have a number of, there's a faction of supporters anyway on the town council and in um, other aspects of town government who back him. And they have been quite vocal, particularly on social media, about what they perceive to be violations of, of ethics and, and just sort of good government on behalf of, uh, on the part of Bill McKenna. So the the whole race you know was really it was really divisive the the primary campaign devolved into a lot of name calling and bitterness and sort of shade being thrown on social media by people uh associated with both candidates and that's now spilling into um official public proceedings as well so this is kind of just par for the course that um you know that that's been developed over the last couple of months so let's look at another story that the Times Union has been working on. There was a bill banning the dumping of radioactive wastewater that went into law recently. Hochul just signed it last week, Governor Hochul. What can you tell us about Save the Hudson bill? Yep, yep. Yeah, this is a bill that is now a law as a Friday afternoon. Um, it's called Save the Hudson, and it would prevent the dumping of any radioactive substance, including water, into the Hudson River from nuclear power plants that are being decommissioned. So this was a big talking point um, and, a, and a big uh, issue for environmental organizations in particular here in the Mid-Hudson Valley following the decommissioning of, of the Indian Power, Indian uh, Indian Point nuclear power plant in uh, right outside Newburgh. Um, or sorry, it's 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 uh, 
in on the Hudson in, in Westchester County. Um, and, uh, and, uh, the company Holtec, which, uh, took over the power plant after it was decommissioned from the department of public service had planned to partially dewater a nuclear reactor unit, which essentially means treat, treat the water, uh, and dump it into the Hudson. And that drew a lot of concern from activists and, and communities, particularly those who draw their drinking water from the Hudson. Um, Holtec has said that it has uh, discharged, diluted, treat, treated radioactive water from the plant for decades, and that that water has tested well within the bounds of public safety standards. Um, but the the water that is released contains tritium, um, and when it reacts with oxygen, it creates tritiated water. Um, and the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission says that exposure to any amount of radiation in tritiated water uh, is a health risk. And you can't filter out the tritium uh, because it has the same chemical composition as normal water. Um, and of course, the whole, or one of the main reasons that Indian Point was decommissioned in the first place is because of long efforts by environmental activists in the region uh, who were concerned about the discharges from the plant and their impact on the local ecology. So this bill was passed unanimously in the Assembly and Senate earlier this summer, right before the end of session. Um, and it's just been sitting on Kathy Hochul's desk until last Friday when she signed it. Well, it's amazing. I was just hearing a story on NPR about the Japan is going to be releasing radioactive wastewater into the ocean. So now there's a bill that was banning that from happening here. So um, do you know how many years have they been dumping waste, radioactive waste into the Hudson already? Um, no, just just decades. So and it and it's it's um, you know the the power plant was run by the public the state public service commission um and then it, tra it transferred the deed of the plant to holtec after the plant was decommissioned holtec is a holtec international is a supplier of equipment and energy systems for energy uh for the en energy industry across the uh country but they kind of specialize in nuclear reactors um and they've decommissioned other plants across the U.S. So basically, they're just in charge of the decommissioning process. Wow, that's amazing. So thank you so much for that, Philip. We were talking to Philip Pontuso from the Times Union. Now let's take a quick look at what's happening in Ellenville and Allstate County with Chris Rowley from the Schwankunk Journal. Chris, welcome back to the program. Welcome back to the Reporters' Roundtable. What well, can you tell us about what's happening in Ellenville and in Ulster County? I do, yeah. Um, I mean... After listening to Philip there, um, I'm afraid my stuff's very local and not that exciting. I mean, good luck, but who knew that Woodstock was such a hotbed of uh, political rage? Yeah, but anyway, um, uh, the question, you know, it, it just conjures up, I thought, the uh, old, older gentleman in, in tie-dye battling furiously <laughs> in a back room. Yeah, and and also I did not know that um, uh, the Indian Point had been releasing uh, water being safe uh, into the Hudson for a long time. Uh, that's that's probably information that's going to frighten a lot of listeners. But don't get frightened; it's it's coming to an end. <laughs> anyway, so what we have 
is um, a couple of things. Uh, one, okay, so the closest thing we've had to any kind of um, kind of political anger uh, in Wawarsing and Ellenville uh, was over Burnwald Park, which is a, a small park uh, basically set within the village, created by the village, um, but the village claims and feels that it really belongs to the town, and therefore the town should help with the the financing of it. Uh, this this was uh, this was a long running uh, saga last year, and um, uh, well, anyway, all all I can say is that the town has finally got itself together to to do something. And uh, as I said in the article, with a degree of gusto, the town of Worcester supervisor announced that they have succeeded in buying uh, and got a great deal too new playground equipment for Burn Road Park. Um, Burn Road Park had playground equipment that was made of wood and was from the late nineties. Uh, it was it was definitely you know it it, it was it was done. Some of it was really in bad shape. Uh, and that was repaired earlier so that this, this year uh, the kids can, can play in the park this summer on that old equipment. But the new stuff will be the, the more familiar to everybody nowadays, the steel wrapped in the um, uh, high-grade, brightly colored polymers. You know, you, when you see a playground these days, it's all, you know, reds and greens and yellows and blues and, and with happy children. Um, so that's coming, and they got they got a great deal for... Uh, $81,251, uh, they paid um, a company called All People Can Play, which is a fairly well-respected firm in that, that line of business. There are several uh, that compete there. Um, and they got the CrossFit set, and then they got another set uh, in, a, in a BOGO situation because they were just outside the, the, the end of, of this offer that if you bought one, uh, all people can play with throwing another, uh, clearing, obviously clearing out back stock. So they got a cake, they got an Alpine set as well. So they got CrossFit and Alpine for the price of, of CrossFit, 81 grand. Um, and this will be set up by uh, the specialists who come for all people can play. They know what they're doing. It's better that they do it. Um, and so, you know, that means that next, next summer, um, the kids at Allenville and Wolworthy, if they wish, uh, will be able to play on state-of-the-art, um, brightly colored plastic stuff. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be a major upgrade for them. And other work is going on in that park as well. Uh, the village is, is working on a drainage project uh, to uh, prevent the, the damage that occurs to the basketball court and to the tennis court because they're set on a flat piece that's just adjacent to a downslope, um, which comes off of the Shungum Ridge. And therefore, water is traveling down that downslope, goes underneath, and if there's too much of it, it comes up under the court and creates cracks for the rest of it. So they're working on, on taking that water away. And so that project continues. And all, all told, um, the Burn Road Park will be um, really fit, fit to use next year. So that, that was that story. Um, and then carrying on. Well, you, you know, you know, having a a community playground is very important like for me personally. Just you know, I'm a young parent, and it's a, how important it is you know kids interacting with other kids, kids having a place to play, and also you meet other people from the community. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. 
Yeah, and you know, it's up, because the kids have to get out. They have to get out, so it has to be something for them to do. And, you know, they want to play, and they can play around the backyard and play up and down the block, but eventually they will want to go and be on swings and all the other things that are allowed these days. Um, of course, you know, older folks will note that a lot of the things that we risked our lives on are <laughs> no longer in playground. But that's another story. Um, anyway, but, you know, uh, there will be a lot of good stuff, and uh, it, it all helps with physical uh, effort that, you know, they can swing and climb and, yeah, you know, slide and all those things, which, you know, are all a great thing to do when you're in the under-12 set. Um, yeah, very important, and very important for the community. Uh, parents need that. Very, very essential. Um, so anyway, but uh, staying with the uh, hyper-local, which is basically where I am this, this, this month, um, there was a, an interesting public hearing. Um, okay, now this is complex. So everybody just concentrate for a second, right? Um, there are two towns, well, Washington and Rochester. They share the hamlet of Crohongston. They also share um, an area of Crohongston that is... Um, which we had not government, but is is assisted by the Cahongston First Aid Squad, the KAFAS, uh, which actually leans into Rochester more than it does into into Bawarsing. However, there is a sliver of Bawarsing that is in the KAFAS area, about seven hundred residents strong, and they are now going to have a taxing ambulance district. And this is this is actually region wide and important because this addresses the the difficulty of keeping volunteer ambulance going. Um, the problem being, people don't have the time they used to have to volunteer, uh, and the expenses of running an ambulance have grown increasing. I mean, it, it, it's incredible. Some of the equipment is amazing, but it's all very expensive. And the only way to keep an ambulance, a volunteer ambulance service running 24-7, that is, through the night is to have some paid people, EMTs in particular. That means you've got to have a little more income than you get from just getting the insurance payout for people that you carry. Um, and that has driven uh, this particular thing to, to, to uh, its conclusion. The terrible was being approved, uh, but there's the public hearing, which um, ha has closed now, but the comments are still being taken in written form. Um, you know, the KFAS also does mutual aid with Ellenville uh, Rescue, which is the, 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 the neighboring one. And most of Cahonston is covered by the Ellenville uh, First Aid Squad. But, uh, and, and it's that sort of interesting thing where our various um, areas of authority and jurisdiction overlap in curious ways, which are all legacies of, of the way that this area has grown um, and developed. And so, uh, you know, then the issue there is, if a volunteer fire, uh, if a fire, or rather a volunteer ambulance isn't what's coming to your home, if you're getting a paid, you're getting mobile life coming because you've got a heart attack at two in the morning, then you're going to be hard billed because those are commercial services and they, they bill and they will not take no for an answer. They're not going to negotiate with you either. Uh, they will demand payment. Whereas with a volunteer ambulance, they will, they'll work with you. They're part of the community. They don't have the same 
kind of, you know, um, they're not driven by the same sort of necessities as, say, mobile life is. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an easier thing. Um, anyway, so that, that was one of the issues. And during the public hearing, uh, one of the uh, members of KAFAS uh, did actually make that point. You know, what are you going to do if it's, you know, middle of the night and an ambulance doesn't come? Yeah, I mean, just 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 imagine, you know, something terrible has happened, and it can be anything, you know. I mean, you know, we're all aware of how, how risky life can be. Uh, you know, something happens, and you need an ambulance late at night, and there isn't one. You know, that puts us back into the 19th century, and, you'll, you know, you're likely to probably either not survive or not get any treatment for 24 hours or whatever. So... Uh, this 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 is this is the kind of the end end, end result is going to be a taxing district to provide some money uh, to assist the volunteer fire or volunteer um, uh, ambulance in this case uh, to operate around the clock. Uh, and you know they showed off some of the impressive equipment there is today that you know I don't know if many people realize that uh, the ambulance people bring something like a Striker Power Pro. Um, mobile um, uh, um, stretcher, that which it, it that retails at seventeen thousand dollars. It, it's a, a very impressive looking thing. What what it does is it low up goes up and down. It can lower a uh, patient to, to or get a patient off the ground easily and raise them to the level where they can be moved into the ambulance quite easily as well. And they also showed off the Lucas device, which gives chest compression. Uh, this, it sort of fits around the chest and then does compressions on the chest for people who, who's hard to stop. Um, that leaves the EMT in the ambulance free to do other vital things to save your life, um, which could be, uh, you know, almost anything in terms of medical run. So, you know, that was, that was a, a, a kind of an eye opening, uh, little bit of, local affairs because, you know, it exposes once again, this looming issue, which affects everybody in Sullivan County, Ulster County, uh, you know, basically everywhere in this region, which is the, the need for volunteer services, whether it's ambulance or fire and the difficulty today of somebody, you know, most, most firemen are like in their twenties and most of the ambulance people are in their twenties too. And how do they find the time? Especially if they have to work, you know, say say they have a job down in you know Westchester or even Pennsylvania, they they're not coming back here for uh, an emergency in you know what Worcester or somewhere in Sullivan County. So that particular issue is, is what the, that that got stated here, and uh, this was another interesting example of it. And um, you know, I think there will be a. Uh, permissive referendum on this tax district, I think there has to be, and, you know, that will give everybody a chance to, uh, to up or down it, but it's, it, it's something that's needed, and um, those 700 residents will end up being in this uh, taxi district and therefore taken care of properly by KAFAS. So that was basically those stories. Um, I have one other thing which was kind of interesting as well, um, and again, hyperlocal. Um, the Carnival Warsing uh, is about to join Town of Rochester uh, in using 
they knew, and yeah, we don't think of it, but this, this is, this is where it comes down. They're using a new software package, um, that runs all the financial aspects of, um, of, of, of the, the town clerk's office. And there's an awful lot of them, which, I mean, we, when you go into the town clerk's office to get whatever, whatever to, to maybe when you get, get a marriage license, maybe you wanted to get a dog license, whatever, or, more likely went in to get a hunting license. But if, you, if those things all have to be paid for, it all has to be tracked, it all has to be accounted and audited. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, grunt work and uh, tallying up and uh, computer work there. So now there's this completely, uh, it gets automatic with Town Clerk Plus software package, uh, which comes from the Williamson Law Book Company of Victor, New York. Um, Fully automated point of sale and cash book system that provides a simple, efficient method of recording the sale of all those licenses, as well as tracking all other sales and permits that are handled in town clerk's office. So that will make life uh, a lot easier for the uh, town of Abortion, uh town clerk, just as it already has for the town of Rochester town clerk and other town clerks elsewhere. Uh, this was an upgrade for Wawarsing uh, on software that no one is really sure how old it was, but it certainly dates back to probably around 1905. So it's a, it's a good jump up. I and mean, none of us is using software from 1905, are we? I hope not. Anyway, uh, that, yeah. So, so that, that was, a, that was another interesting little window into the actual nuts and bolts of our, uh, local government, how it actually works, uh, and what people in those offices do. So there you go. You've been listening to the Reporters Roundtable on Radio Catskill. Today, I was joined with Liam Mayo from The River Reporter, Chris Rowley from The Schwankunk Journal, and Philip Pontuso from The Times Union, discussing the latest news and updates in our listening area. Until next time, stay safe.